Welcome to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoyk. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Behind the Books. We hope everyone had a nice Thanksgiving. And now in our post-Thanksgiving episode, we have for people a couple of interviews that we really enjoyed doing. We spoke with Katie Barony, who is a social worker intern with the Mercer County Library System. And as our author guest, we spoke with Jeffrey Deaver, who writes crime fiction, has uh, dozens of books out. Both were very enjoyable. So, Anna, I had wanted to ask you about Thanksgiving, but I also figured at the same time we could update people on your year-long quest of vegetarianism, because if there's ever a meal that's hard to keep going with your vegetarianism, it's probably Thanksgiving dinner. So maybe you could update our listeners on two fronts. Well, full disclosure, I have I have veered from full-on vegetarianism to uh, pesca- being a pescatarian. So I am eating seafood, but that still doesn't necessarily help with Thanksgiving. You don't really hear about a Carving the salmon. <laughs> exactly. So my Thanksgiving dinner, which it was just us, it was just the core family this year. We went full on side dishes. So stuffing, potatoes, cornbread. Um, I have this cranberry sauce, I, which I know some people really don't like cranberries, but I have a cranberry sauce that I make, which I love. It has orange and Grandma, Grand Marnier in it. Uh, it's just delicious. And it goes really well with the cornbread and the stuffing. And then, you know, Brussels sprouts and green beans. So it was just a full on side dish dinner. And there really wasn't a highlighted side dish. They were all just equal side dishes for everybody. And everybody was happy, even my, the two in my family who still eat meat. And if you had any leftovers, feel free to send them our way. Everything sounds pretty good. I think in a lot of ways, those are the best parts of the Thanksgiving dinner, right? The side dishes, because everybody always comes up. They all have their own little twist. They all have their own little things that they put together. Everybody's is a little different. It's one of the things that makes it nice. And one of the things, this is funny. I was talking with my mother and she's like, well, what do you do about gravy? Cause she's, you know, Norma really likes gravy on her stuffing and her mashed potatoes. And I actually have a really good mushroom gravy that I make. And I actually, I'll put it in the show notes for anyone who's interested But again, I've got everyone in my family who's eating it. And that says something to find something that all four members of my family will eat. Well, it sounds like you had a good time. I know we also had a good time putting this episode together. And we are going to be back with the first of our interviews. In a moment, we'll be back with Katie Barony. Welcome to this segment of the Behind the Books podcast, where we take the time to talk with a staff member at the Mercer County Library System. Today, we have kind of a special staff member. Recently, the Mercer County Library System started to offer the assistance of a social work intern. And so today, we have Katie Barony, who is joining us uh, to chat with us about the program that has started here at the Mercer County Library System. Uh, So, Katie, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. The program that you are coming to us through is the Rutgers University School of Social Work. They have an intern program. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yes. So when you are doing, when you're getting your master's in social work, the first year of the program, I'm in a three-year program, but so in our first year is called the generalist year. We are placed in a field position and we are to get a specific amount of hours throughout our first year in the social work program. Um, most of my cohorts are in the regular social work program, so they'll be doing the same thing next year in a different field placement for a longer amount of hours, whereas I'm in a three year since I'm doing the dual degree in um, social work and public policy. So this year I'll be in the field and my third year I'll be in the field. So did you have the choice of where to be placed? I mean, do they give you like a catalog of here are options where you can go? Um, or was it something where you saw the library was offering it, you jumped on it? So I was given a few different options. Um, we have a specific field department within the School of Social Work and they kind of coordinate, you know, where they could put people and who they have relationships with. And Rutgers has been putting um, more students in libraries in the past few years. And they thought it would be good, uh, a good fit for me since I'm a um, macro sort of social worker, so working on more of the larger scale of a client base. So instead of one-on-one, -on -one, it's more of a systems approach. How, how have you found the connection with the library? Has it been something that you've found pretty rewarding so far? Or what's it, what, what are the first, uh, I guess you're a couple months into it now, or how, how have the first couple months of it gone for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been interesting. I mean, when I was initially told, you know, that you know, I could get placed into a library. I didn't really get it per se. And then, you know, upon doing the research, it makes the most sense. I mean, it's, you know, you're inside of a library, which is kind of a hub within the community. So, duh, why wouldn't there be social workers in libraries? But um, it's been really interesting to get to know the different aspects of the community. So um, I'm here three days a week, two days at Heightstown, and one day in the Lawrence headquarters. And it's been really interesting to see the differences in the communities, but um, it's been really great to have the opportunity to point people in directions. And, you know, usually they leave saying, this was helpful, I'm glad I came, which is ultimately the goal. So it's it's been really interesting to be in a position I'd not really thought of before. One of the terms, I think the term you used was, did you say macro, macro social work? But when you were talking about macro, I mean, it's just what you meant by macro social work. Yeah. So when we're talking about social work, they kind of break it into different areas. So when you have micro social work, that's kind of going to be your like one-on-one -on -one social work. Um, so that's more of like a clinical focus, not that macro and meso aren't clinical focus, but that's really going to be your one-on-one. -on -one. And then you have meso, which is kind of in between macro and micro, where it's like communities, but there's still aspects of one-on-one. -on -one. So this could kind of also be like a meso position that I'm in, um, but then there's macro. So my goal as a dual social work and public policy degree is to kind of work in advocacy. So working on the larger scale of like policy advocacy, advocacy of communities, community organizing, so the position here, it's not necessarily always going to be that one-on-one, -on -one, even though I do take, you know, appointments one-on-one, -on -one, but it is working at large within the library system to kind of bolster their supports to people in the community. So for some of our patrons who might be interested in, in you know, getting help from you or utilizing what you have available mm -hmm. to help them, like, can you give us a little rundown of some of the things that you can kind of help them with if, if they were to come in and, and see you? 
Yes, I mean, um, they can register online on pick time, and so we can schedule a 50 minute appointment. It doesn't have to be that long. Um, but really, I can assist in locating resources that people are looking for. So, some of the services that I'm especially um, good at are health insurance. So, if people wanted information um, on understanding health insurance or how it works or how to apply, I'd certainly be happy to help with that. You know, helping fight food insecurity if you need help locating food services, clothing, um, in the way of help with immigration. So, you know, I'm by no means a immigration uh, legal professional, but, you know, pointing you in the direction of services that are available if you do fall under more of a, a low income area of helping you find those services. And um, we're currently working on translation. Uh, we're trying to establish partnerships with organizations that assist with translation of documents and in-person interpretation um, but yeah no you can come to me and I mean there's any number of things um, but mostly um, I believe it's listed on the website but it's a lot of um, mental health care substance abuse health insurance that sort of immigration stuff that I just mentioned um, but it, it's it's not limited to that and it kind of you kind of alluded to this where you're saying you're like i don't know i don't necessarily know the answers to everything but you could point people to the place where they could go for that assistance right yeah i mean it's important to know that um you know i do have resources as people come in but um so even if you come in with a particular question and i may not have the resources at hand when you do the visit i um, can always email you with more resources when I find them um, because the services that we're providing for people in Mercer County, you don't have to be a patron of the library and you don't have to be from Heightstown or Lawrence. You could be anywhere in Mercer County or I guess you could be anywhere. Actually, it doesn't matter if you're from Mercer County. It's not always that I have the resources on hand for places outside of Heightstown and Lawrence, um, which has been the case with some clients and I always get back to them um, on the same day with resources that I found that pertain to what they're looking for. I think that almost librarians and social workers in some way, they're almost like they're, they're very similar. Um, helping people, um, whether it's with information or services. Um, and this when you're talking about that you could go to find out where they need, you know, what they need. If you don't have the answer, then you can find it for them. So I feel like there really is a kismet there between the two. Um, professions. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. You know, when somebody initially says, you know, if I were actually employed here and going, yeah, I'm a social worker. Oh, where do you work? Oh, in a library. You know, people's first thought is what? You know, you wouldn't correlate the two, but then, you know, when you when you really look at it on the foundational level, it's so similar. I mean, it's like a reference section for social services. You're really there to assist people and it's a big, it's actually a very large growing movement. Um, they're seeing a big uptick in, in this being a service provided by libraries. So it's cool to be part of the growing movement and Rutgers is really behind it 100%. One of the things I'm always interested in is how people find um, their choice of profession. What was it for you that made you decide that you want to go into social work? Yeah, um, so growing up, I was always instilled with a mission of purpose or a mission of servitude. Um, it's very important. It was very important to my grandparents who I was very close with growing up that um, we be the best servants we can for other people. Um, and so I found that, you know, through social work or, you know, especially with public policy and, and advocating for groups, I always wanted to be 
that sort of person who can advocate and give a voice to the voiceless. And there really isn't a profession, a formal profession that does it like social work. So one of the things I wanted to ask you too, before we, we let you go is how you enjoy the library itself. Like, are you someone who's a big library user? Have you used the library, you know, growing up? Like, how do you, are you a big reader? Yeah, um, I consider myself a bit of a bibliophile. I absolutely love books. Um, it breaks my heart that I'm in school and reading for leisure is very difficult since my head is buried in books all day. Um, so I really enjoy the opportunity and relish the opportunity when I get to read uh, for fun. Um, as of right now, I'm in the middle of a novel series, but I like to trade off. So I'll read a novel, a non or a fiction based book, and then my next book is usually either a historical nonfiction or a memoir of some variety. We've been talking with uh, Katie Barony, who is working as a social work intern for the library system. We will make sure to post your hours that you're available on our show notes, but you can also find it on our website at mcl.org. Mm -hmm. Katie, thank you so much for just helping us spearhead this program at the library system. And I just find nothing but benefits to your presence here. So thank you. I'm grateful to be put here and hopefully I'm uh, seeing you guys work with Brokers for the foreseeable future. Welcome back, everyone, as we head into the next segment of Behind the Books, where we go over some of the programs that we have coming up at the library this month. I know we have a lot of good stuff for people in the opening weeks of December and as we close out November. And Anna, before we get into the programs, one thing that I did want to mention that people that our patrons may not be aware of is that starting on December 1st, we have a new feature called Automatic Renewals. So, you know, if you're one of these patrons that has bo your book out and you're almost done with it and you're trying to finish and you forget to renew it and usually you'd come back to the library and you'd say, I'm sorry, this is a couple of days late. Well, now we have in place a system that will renew your book for you automatically with a few caveats. If, if the book is popular and it's on hold for others, it won't renew. If you've already renewed it four times and you've reached your renewal limit, it won't renew. And a few other little things, but it sounds like a pretty interesting feature that we developed. And we will link to uh, the more specifics about automatic renewals from our website uh, into our show notes, just so that you can see uh, those certain items in our collection that won't renew. But for the most part, a majority of our items are going to renew for you, especially if they are not on hold for somebody else, or if you haven't reached your four, the normal four limit renewal. So regardless, it's a very neat feature. And I just, I, I always take phone calls from patrons who might be traveling or whatnot, and they're stressed out about their books becoming overdue, and this is just going to take care of it for you. So it's a nice little service, and we're excited to bring that to our patrons. And also this, uh, what we will also be bringing to our patrons is some interesting virtual programs coming up in the next couple of weeks. I'm definitely linking to our events calendar and our show notes because we do have some fun uh, programs that are coming up and some informative and educational programs, but I'm going to highlight two real quick for everybody. Um, tonight, November 30th at seven o'clock, we have uh, two authors who are going to speak. Robert Sands and Patricia Millen are going to talk about their recently published book, Images of America, 
Washington Crossing, and it's going to explore the history behind the site of where uh, George Washington crossed the Delaware and just the history of the parks in general as well. So really just, it's gonna be a very engaging and informative program. And again, that is Wednesday, November 30th, this evening at seven o'clock. And then we're getting into the holiday spirit. Uh, there's lots of good stuff coming up, especially within the branches for all ages, just different types of gingerbread house making and crafts and uh, holiday centered story times and Kwanzaa celebrations. One of the virtual programs I wanted to talk about is uh, the Danish concept of Huga is going to be presented by Vanessa Young, who is the founder of the Thirsty Radish. So she's going to talk about that art of coziness and the food and holistic strategies, as well as seasonal tips, all with the Huga centered focus. And that is going to be Tuesday, December 13th at seven in the evening. Those sound like very interesting programs. And as you mentioned, there are others going on and people can check out our events page and scroll through the early weeks of December and see all the great things that are going on at the Mercer County Library System. And another th great thing that we had going on was our conversation with Jeffrey Deaver, who is very engaging, had a lot of insight into his writing style. And we'll be back with Jeffrey Deaver in a moment. Jeffrey Deaver is the number one international best-selling author of more than 40 novels, three collections of short stories, and a non-fiction law book. His books are sold in 150 countries and translated into 25 languages. A former journalist, folk singer, and attorney, he was born outside of Chicago and has a Bachelor of Journalism degree from the University of Missouri and a law degree from Fordham University. His next book, Hunting Time came out on November 22nd, and it's the fourth uh, and latest book of his Coulter Shaw series. Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good to talk to you both. So I'm, I wanted to start out with, um, it's the fourth book, uh, Hunting Time, that just came out in the Coulter Shaw series, and it's about our reward seeker, Coulter. So can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the premise of the book, please? Sure. I have always been enamored of the uh, the type of hero uh, in the movies uh, when I was growing up in the 1950s and 60s, the man with no name, the Sergio Leone movies uh, played by Clint Eastwood and, um, uh, you know, Shane, Alan Ladd Jr. coming to town, solving the crime, riding off into the sunset. Uh, and I thought, well, my my main hero for many years, Lincoln Rhyme from the Bone Collector series um, is a very, uh, is very static. He's, he's like a Sherlock Holmes. He uh, stays in his apartment in uh, New York City and uh, kind of outthinks the villains. And he, he's in a wheelchair, he's, he's disabled, he's in a wheelchair. Um, so that's, I've kind of got that Sherlock Holmes covered for, my, for those series, but I like the idea of an itinerant hero, somebody who travels around the country and uh, gets involved in uh, local crimes, the, the, the missing daughter of a family who posted a reward to find her, the uh, police department that cannot find a nefarious serial killer, they post a reward. And uh, Coulter travels there. And um, the fourth one, you can tell he survived all of his other his conflicts and then solves the whatever it is 
uh, that he's confronted with and then moves on. And I just love this prototype of that kind of hero. That kind of leads into one of the things I wanted to ask you about was that you have these different series. You have Lincoln Rhymes, you have Catherine Dance, Coulter Shaw. What kind of goes into it for you developing those different protagonists and how do you make them different from one another? Sure. Uh, great question. Um, I, um, I'm a business person. You know, I manufacture a product. It's a book, but it's a product nonetheless. And, you know, I'm sorry, the people at Procter & Gamble are very creative too. I'm creative, but Procter and Gamble—they come up with creative toothpaste, and and uh, you know, car companies come up with creative automobiles and so forth. So, and their manufacturers. Sometimes authors tend to say, "Oh, I'm an artist. I do what I want. I I speak only to my muse." Well, that's nonsense. You know, this is a, a long preface to your very simple, concise question, Bob. But my point is that um, I have to look at the the audience. I look at my market and ask myself, what do they want? So I will create characters that I think fill the market with a varied product. Lincoln Rhyme solves that uh, need that we have for the intellectual hero, uh, the kind of Agatha Christie unraveling mystery hero. Uh, Catherine Dance is the, um, the hero. She's a Kinesics uh, investigator. She studies body language. She's a she's a cop basically, but she uh, goes one on one with the the villains. That's psychological drama. Uh, but you know, occasionally she pulls out her gun and shoots at somebody. But mostly, it's the psychological drama. Coulter Shaw fills the uh, the need that we all have to travel to uh, explore new things and uh, at the same time get a you know a rollicking good story. I hope because. All of my books, whether they're in uh, the, the Coulter Shaw series, the Catherine Dance series, uh, the Lincoln Rhyme series, fall into a template. And that's this. Uh, the books take place, take place over a very short period of time, one or two days. Hunting time, I think, is a, basically a day and a half. Um, they have a lot of uh, internal reversals at the end of chapter four. We learn that the sidekick that we thought was Coulter Shaw's buddy is in fact working for the bad guy. He's a spy and that propels us forward. And uh, then there's a, a big surprise ending and following that, yes, there's a big surprise ending. And after that, yes, there's another big surprise ending because uh, readers love surprise endings. So so given that that's the, the general format or formula for one of my books, those three uh, heroes of mine uh, kind of fulfill different market niches. Well, now let me ask you this, because I don't, you use the word template and formula, and you're known for your twists and turns and your surprises. And and just when you're, you're comfortable in the story, bada boom, bada bing, you're switch gears, you know, there's something that comes out. So are you outlining yeah. <laughs> all of this out? Or are you just flying by the seat of your pants? And you're like, you know what, I'm going to throw this in here because I, I you figured out a quick way how it can make sense. Yeah, thanks for thanks for asking that question, and thanks for using those particular words. And I'll tell you why. the 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 world of writing um, fiction is divided into two camps: the plotters, that's outliners, and the pantsers, as in seat of the pants. And we use these terms actually. I am the, um, uh, and I say this without any pride; it's just a fact. I am probably the world's uh, most extensive outliner. Uh, and I know this objectively because I've traveled around the world. I've been appeared with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of authors over the years. And uh, it's just a fact. I spend eight months outlining my my books. That's full-time job. Well, 
I do research at the same time, but in preparation, but mostly that's outlining. I end up with an outline in the case of hunting time. Uh, it's about a hundred and I, I can't remember exactly, maybe 150 pages long. It's got every clue put into it. It's got every, uh, we, we, we call it a reveal. I mean, the word technically is revelation, but we learned this from Hollywood, it's got to be a cool word. So it's the reveal instead of the revelation. But whatever you want to say, it's the big, the, the answer to the big uh, surprise. Uh, I know when every character enters the book and I know when they, they leave either vertically or horizontally because not everybody survives the, uh, the end of a Deaver book. And uh, I think that's, that's just what one needs to craft the best story one can. I'm, teaching a course later today in uh, pacing for international thriller writers organization and uh pacing of course is is vital my concept of pacing is you know accelerated to the floor you move as fast as you can uh again the book taking place over only a couple of days and you've got to plan that out ahead of time you know uh, you, you just have to do it and and there are some wonderful writers who don't don't do that who don't outline but you know you often get into a situation where you 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 have a great idea you get to page let's say 150 uh, of the novel itself and then you don't know where you're going to go you you run into writer's block well if you outline you're going to know that before you start so you haven't wasted the time writing 250 pages uh you haven't wasted three or four months of your life You've wasted a dime's worth of post-it notes up in your, your organization board <laughs> and maybe a week. And then you throw that out and go on to something uh, something else. Do you think that a lot of that comes from your journalism background? Because you were trained as a journalist, right? So did you get into that habit of kind of laying everything out there in front of you before you sat down to write? Absolutely. Uh, that and law, too, because law is a lot of, uh, lot of research. Uh, in journalism, you have... A huge amount of research and you have to figure out what is going to fit in the five or 10 minute story that uh, airtime allots you. And uh, with a, a a novel, it's it's the same thing. You've got to get everything in, in front of you. And then you think, well, I, I'm allotted uh, not in terms of airtime or uh, space on the page uh, in a sense of a newspaper, but in the, the space of the story, the framework of the story I have to tell. I, my first drafts, uh, usually are 100 pages longer than the final version, even with the outline, because when I write a, let's say, section 37, chapter 37, whatever, however I do divide the book up, that is maybe some esoteric topic. In hunting time, for instance, uh, one of the themes has to do with something I was not aware of. It's portable nuclear reactors. And portable in the sense, like, you're not going to carry one into your living room. They're 60 tons, but they can be picked up by trucks and helicopters and move to places. And it's going to be a game changer for third world nations that can now have energy, computers, and bring not only, you know, power, but enlightenment and, uh, you know, uh, open open thinking to, uh, to places in the world. I was fascinated with that. And uh, so I, I devoted two chapters to it. Uh, the story is basically about the engineer of one of these uh, these uh, computer part in a reactor and she disappears and Coulter Shaw has to find her and her missing teenage daughter. Well, I could write, I'm fascinated with these, these things. I could write, I don't know, you know, a hundred pages. And I wrote one chapter that was far too long about 
uh, about these reactors. And the outline told me I should not do that, but I couldn't stop myself. And then I edited it down. You know, Hemingway said, there are no great writers, there are only great rewriters. And so I rewrite, 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 and shrink down. One of the things that I wanted to ask you before we let you go too is, uh, you're trained as a journalist, you've got a great writing background. I'm sure you could write almost any genre that you set your mind to. What was it that kind of led you down this path to writing the the thriller crime type novels that you've that you've done over your career? I feel that a, a work of, well, I was going to say a, a work of uh, fiction, uh, I guess I would include movies in that because that's, that's fiction, but a, a, let's say a work of art that tells a story uh, of, of any sort. The whole point is to create an emotional connection between the the story and the uh, the reader. Uh, you know, I don't want you to finish one of my books and say, well, that was interesting. I want you to say, oh my God, I survived this book. It was intense. It just captivated me for a, 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 a whole day. I try for single sitting reads. That doesn't always work, but I want people to race, race through the book. I read uh, science fiction. I read fantasy. I actually can speak a little Elvish, which shows you what kind of nerd I am. I loved uh, Lord of the Rings so much and and uh, Ursula Le Guin and those uh, Ray Bradbury, all that writing. Uh, there's something kind of distant about something that's uh, fantasy, horror, supernatural. I, I don't believe in ghosts and goblins. I think a lot of people don't, but I do believe that serial killers exist and that, uh, you know, bank robbers exist and, and crazy people, uh, maybe your neighbors, maybe people you meet on the bus or the uh, walking down the street, they exist. And that, that tends to to allow me to create a more intense fictional landscape than something else would. And the other thing about crime fiction is that we crime authors are, um, I was going to say allowed, the better word is uh, encouraged to include some plots that have nothing to do with the crime, but kind of inform our stories and inform our characters. For instance, in Hunting Time, the core story is Coulter Shaw saving the engineer and her daughter, and the two of them have to pair up because he's a survivalist and he's a tough guy, and she's a, a brainy engineer, and the, the, their two skills uh, come together and save the day. I'm not, I'm not giving anything away because I said I like happy endings on my my stories, and of course the uh, the uh, angst-ridden, attitudinal uh, teenage daughter contributes a lot. To the, this mix too, so that's that's the core story. But then there's the geopolitical subplot of the um, uh, the green energy with these uh, portable nuclear reactors, and that's a that's a very interesting story too, and a very valid uh, story. That's a subplot, and I call it the geopolitical plot. And then there's the soap opera element, uh, the soap opera subplot. In addition to the crime and the soap opera subplot, I can't give anything away, but it has to do with the reconciliation between two uh, characters who seem estranged. And uh, I've had people tell me the book isn't out yet, but I've had readers uh, who've seen early editions say they were crying at that scene uh, because uh, of the the connection that these two people uh, finally uh, had after many years. And so crime fiction allows me to do that. And so, uh, you know, my job is to create this emotional connection and, and crime just gives me the best tapestry with which to do that. Well, we've been talking with Jeffrey Deaver about his book that came out on November 22nd, Hunting Time, which is the fourth and latest book in the Coulter Shaw series. 
It has been so much fun talking with you and we wish you nothing but continued success on taking us on your twists and turns as well as your book tour. We hope it's going smoothly. Well, thank you so much to both of you. Really a pleasure to speak with you. Welcome back, everyone, as we wrap up this episode of Behind the Books. Thanks so much to Jeffrey Deaver for taking time out of his day to talk to us about his upcoming book and also talk to us about his his writing style. And that was one of the things, Anna, that I really enjoyed getting to hear from him is, you know, how he got into writing crime fiction and then his style. And you asked him about the plotter or the pantser, and he went through and, and told us how he plots everything out and just getting kind of that backstory and insight into the creative process for him, I found pr pretty fascinating. He really is kind of the king of twists and turns. I think, you know, if anybody, you talk to them about a Jeffrey Deaver book, you know, the, it's it comes up with, you think it's going to go one way and he completely switches it up on the reader. And I think he's just got it down to an art of keeping people engaged and just writing turn, page turners. So his plotting way is working for him. And he did kind of allude to the fact that, you know, it's not for everybody. Everybody has a different style, but for him, he finds that this is what he does. And just that amount of time, he said eight months, right? Just right. to figure everything out and then kind of start writing after that. Um, that is what works for him. And obviously it is working very well. And I thought it was interesting too, that he plots everything out. Yet one of the themes of his books is to expect the unexpected, right? So you would think that if the unexpected is going to happen, maybe it just come to him. But obviously, he's plotted out the whole storyline. He knows what he's he knows what to expect. We don't we, know what to expect. <laughs> we don't know. It's unexpected to us, but he knows what's coming. Also, our conversation with Katie Barony that was a lot of fun. Great to hear how she's furthering her education with the dual masters and and how she wound up with us here at the Mercer County Library System and what she's been able to offer. And it sounds like it's something that'll continue down the road, even as she leaves us and somebody else comes in. It's a, it's a really neat, uh, for lack of a better word, it's, it really is just a neat partnership with the Rutgers School of Social Work. Just talking to her, it does make sense. Um, and I know that she was saying, you know, people kind of seem like, well, that's, you know, what a weird placement. But if you look at it, she's telling us who she's been meeting with and what she's been covering and how she is uh, really furthering our service offerings to our community uh it really just does make sense and it's very exciting and i'm glad that she is the one who has helped us to start to pioneer it here at mercer county library system and i do think it's something that the library system will continue to try and partner with the school of social work for subsequent interns and it's just another example of everywhere you turn there's always something different that we're offering at the library things that you might not expect kind of expecting the unexpected, right? Like you might not think that that's something that we offer, but we do. And we have other things that we offer. And uh, we try to let people know what they are here on our podcast. And you can always check out our website, which is full of information on what we have to offer. So once again, we do want to thank Jeffrey Deaver, as well as Katie Barony for taking time out of their days to talk with us. And Bob, as always, just a great, fun experience. And I will see you in two weeks. 
Thank you for listening to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a review. For more information about the Mercer County Library System, please visit us on the web at mcl.org. We are produced by Laura Narasik. Our thanks goes out to Kim Livingston for her technical expertise, as well as to Dana Benner for creating our cover art. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoyk.